Hello, True Matters listeners. Welcome back. This is Mikhail, and it has been a minute. I'm so excited that our next interview after a little pause is my dear friend and coworker, Mariah. As many of you know, Mariah was our former director of operations, and she recently stepped into a very exciting new role working on business strategy. Mariah is also a certified yoga instructor, and we have had the honor of taking some of her classes that she's led virtually for our True Footage community. She recently completed the first step toward her Reiki certification, and she's very passionate about leading with intuition and bringing Zen to work, which we all need and love. So welcome, Mariah Swanson. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I'm just looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for the opportunity. Me too. It feels long overdue. So I feel like saying finally we get to have this conversation. I know we've spoken about it a few times and uh, the timing seems perfect now to kind of dive in, get to know you a little better, and then just learn more about some of the strategy you've used, your leadership, and how you bring Zen to work, because I know I can always use some tips there. So I'd love to just jump right in and kind of learn a little bit more about you and then the journey that you took to kind of get where you are at True Footage today. Love it. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Mariah, and I live in Austin, Texas. And I live with my boyfriend and our German Shepherd mix, Opie, who is a little less than two years old and is super fun, just pure chaos all day long, but I love it. <laughs> and that's the need for having Zen, not only in the workplace, but also just in your life. Um, like Mikhail mentioned, I'm yoga certified. It's a huge part of my life. It's a huge part of how I lead in every day that anything, like if I'm at work, I'm outside of work with my friends, with talking to family, who, what, you name it, somehow I need to incorporate that. Um, from the Midwest, I've lived in Minnesota for the most time, Illinois and Michigan, which is like, how much more Midwest can you get than those two <laughs> states? And I wanted to leave the winter cold vibes. And I was like, let's go on a road trip with one of my best friends during the pandemic, which sounds really crazy now that I think about it, but I got to see a ton of different states and eventually landed in Austin. And I'm super happy that I made that move. That is wonderful. And did your uh, introduction to yoga and kind of moving toward becoming certified start well before the Austin move or when did you kind of get into that? Yeah, I, there was a studio that was really close to, um, I guess there's a bunch of core power studios close to my apartment when I lived in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I just started going regularly. I was like, I don't, I think this is like the best type of exercise for me right now. After like a long day of work, it was so nice to just go to the studio, get a good sweat in. And then there was an instructor there who was like, you should really consider teacher training. And then my sister, Kelsey, who I think has been on this podcast. She has. She like, I'm going to sign up. And then our oldest sister, Deanna, was like, okay, fine, I'll sign up too. So it was <laughs> so nice. I got to do all of that training with my two sisters. That's um, so fun. That was before the pandemic. So this is like 20, 2019. And then I started teaching and then the pandemic hit. Like I started teaching in person, the pandemic hit. So then I had to revert to like a lot of virtual yoga. Yes, which brings its own set of challenges, but I can also speak from taking your virtual yoga classes. 
it's also so needed, especially when you show how easy it is to do yoga, even from your desk, find small ways to take those movement breaks and just stay mindful about how we're treating our bodies, especially if we have a desk job or we sit a lot and are hunched over our computers. So I think one of the most beautiful things I've learned from yoga is how it can be incorporated and practiced anywhere. And you do a really good job of delivering that. So um, sometimes we think of these studios with candles lit and music flowing, and it has to be in this very specific parameter. But I think the things I love the most in my life can almost be practiced or incorporated anywhere. And that's why I love them. So we'll talk about that a little bit more later in our conversation, but kind of speaking professionally, what has your journey looked like just being kind of a woman in the corporate world and um, what has led you to the role that you're in now? Great question. Um, well, I started, my first ever job was working for a consignment store, which if you've ever been in a consignment store, it's just, it's pretty fun to check out. There's all these different furniture and clothing. And that was kind of my first taste of like, okay, working with customers and getting in front of people. And I didn't know if that would be like my long-term career goal, but I knew that I wanted to help people in some sort of way. Fast forward after college, I actually had an internship between joining um, after college and joining 3M at Cargill, working on global communications. Very interesting. I, it's a very hard kind of profession. You have to just be very on top of everything. It's kind of PR related. So if something goes wrong, you have to be prepared. And just, I think that taught me a lot about like just general risk. Like if something mm -hmm. happens, how are we going to communicate? And then after I wrapped up that inter or internship, I went to 3M and I started in customer account management with at a company that they had been actively kind of merging or acquired um, several years prior to that. So that's Meguiar's, which is a car detailing brand. Okay. And it is a very male dominated industry, but I grew up loving cars. My dad worked in the automotive industry and I was just like, this is gonna be awesome. I have no, I've never detailed a car. And I learned how, like I was in, we have a bot, there was a body shop at 3M and I wanted to learn. I'm like, Hey, if I'm going to be talking to customers, like I want to get in front of this and like use these tools, understand how it works. Could I polish a car today? I don't know. Like, I don't know <laughs> if I have that in me, but that just customer experience and like working with key accounts, Walmart, Target, Amazon, you learn a lot about how important that is to a company and like maintaining that relationship. So that was really good. I think that was a really great starting point for me. I realized quickly that like after a year, I'm ready to kind of move on to the next thing. Um, and I did have like, I moved into sales incentive. I kind of focused on that for my remaining years at 3M. But what I realized is that if that's truly what I think, like after a year, I might get a little burnt out or I want to do something different that very structured corporate environment does not really tailor to that need of mine. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually decided after, what was that? Like eight, almost eight, nine years at 3M, I decided to quit and I did not have a job lined up. I was admittedly very burnt out. I felt like there was not, there was nowhere else for me to go there. Um, and maybe that's that that might not be true. Maybe it would have happened in due time. But I was like, I'm ready to lead and I'm ready to do something different. And luckily, before I had left, I got really involved. I was really involved in the Women's Leadership Forum. 
And in that, I was working in a group called Men as Advocates. And I got to meet our VP of the venture capital arm. And I met him. And then we met this woman um, at the University of Minnesota, Mary McCarthy, who I love. She's like one of my favorite people to talk to. And we set up this program to kind of get women into like entrepreneurship and like learn about that. And we were helping mentor startups. So it was women at 3M that were helping to mentor startups that were coming out of the University of Minnesota. Same thing, like COVID happened. I'm like, COVID, what didn't COVID kind of like shake up? Truly. So that kind of like, it shook that program and it wasn't like probably as successful as it, it could have been. But I had a taste of a startup and that entre entrepreneurial spirit. And I was like, look, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I do know I want it to be in that startup space. And timing wise and financially, I was preparing that I could just leave and then take a break and figure out what was next. Mm -hmm. I know that would lead me to um, true footage. And that was very exciting, like such a great change for me. Yeah, absolutely. Take us back a little bit to the moment when you decided to make that change and kind of quit a job, maybe without a safety net or a next plan in place. What did it feel like to you internally or how did you know it was time to make a change? Oh, Lord. Well, I, if you ask like any of my close friends or family, they would be like, she's been talking about this for like the last year. It's really hard. Like mm -hmm. I applaud anybody making, going through that process or making that decision. It eventually just got to a point where I feel like my sister, Kelsey, really pushed me. She's like, hey, you're going to figure it out. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're safe enough. Like you've planned for this. Like it's going to be OK. The longer you wait, the longer you're like pushing off everything that you want to try to accomplish. Um, it felt really weird in the moment, like actually deciding like, hey, here's my D-Day. I'm going to send my like two weeks notice at this mm -hmm. point. But it was so nice. And it was like I had the best. um manager at the time she actually worked with my dad several years prior like when i was a baby oh my at, goodness yeah. and she uh -huh. like then and she's like mariah like i knew i felt like like i can't stop you and i feel like you're gonna like accomplish a lot and i get it and that was so nice it was like thank you for like acknowledging or seeing that like clearly this was not the space for me my family was there to support me like everyone around me was like this is awesome. Like, I wish I could do this. And I just felt lucky. Like I was, it's a very privileged thing to do, but mm -hmm. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. We're glad you did it too. We were able to kind of reap the benefits of that big risk and taking that leap. Um, and I also think that it's just so important to stay connected to yourself in those moments and maybe take inventory. I think there are times where something feels very impulsive in a sense that this is hard in the moment and I want to get away from it. And that's very different from I have slept on this and woken up with this and walked with this and talked about this. And like you said, you know, your friends and family may be able to say and speak to even in more detail how long you had mulled over the decision. And sometimes we're able to reach those conclusions faster and sometimes it takes a little more time. But what was it within you that felt out of alignment or what might some of those small indicators be that it's time to make a change? How did you how did you feel that professionally or even how did it bleed maybe into your personal life a little bit? Yeah, I. I guess there's a couple of things like with my own like person physically, I had like weird ailments happen to me while I was at 3M. And that is not saying like 3M did something to me and caused that. It was just 
like clearly I was under stress. I was putting stress mm -hmm. on myself. I felt like physically out of alignment. Like I got really bad vertigo and like just strange things happen. Mm -hmm. This is unexplainable to me. Mm -hmm. But I, at the time I had no idea that those two things could be connected. Like you're not in the right space and your body's trying to tell you that. Mm -hmm. And it took me, that took me a while to realize, but I'm glad I did. Mm -hmm. um, but professionally, I think it was like the, the, a couple of things, like not really seeing myself grow and I want to grow. Like I want to learn. I'm very curious, like, and I love seeing different types of leaders around the company. I think something that every company struggles with, whether they admit it or not, a lot of companies struggle with is that there's not that very many women in leadership and for sure mm -hmm. not diverse women. So I'm mm -hmm. a Hispanic woman and seeing the lineup of like C-suite and leadership, whether it's at my former companies or any other companies that exist, just doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I hate that. I don't want mm -hmm. my nieces to ever think that like there's not a spot for them. And I don't know if I'll ever get to the top, nor I don't like, I don't know if that's like my landing place in life, but I just, I'm not okay with that. I don't think mm -hmm. that that's fair. I feel like companies that have that like women leadership and, and or more women on their board or in their leadership kind of C-suite are proven like financially that they're doing mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know if yeah. that answers your question, but it was kind of like, hey, I've like, I, I want different for myself and I want mm -hmm. different for others. And I want to be able to prove that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And be part of that representation. It's mm -hmm. one thing to speak on representation matters. And then it's another thing to step into that and be bold enough to take that first step into leadership or into some form of representation that's important to you and then feels really aligned and it's never perfect. And it's not like you made one decision that then every other piece fell into play. I think you're still very much on your own personal journey, navigating where you want to land, where you want to end up. What does that look like? And I also want to speak to anybody listening to this, that you don't have to have all of that figured out to take the first step. I think often we get in our own way needing to have all the pieces perfect and maybe even just the wording behind it. It's one thing to know your strengths. It's another thing to put that in a title and know exactly what that looks like. I think that's the beauty of startup world is you are able to wear many hats, have maybe a wider swim lane than you would have if you were hired for a very specific role in a very structured company. And with that, it's okay to still be in the process of figuring it out while you're actively doing it, which feels counterproductive in some ways, or it seems a little bit um, foreign kind of when we know we should have a lot figured out in order, especially to step into a new role. But I think you're a really good example of that to me personally. And then in turn to so many people at our company that you've made multiple title changes, you've promoted, you've you know, moved laterally. There's been these different things all within a short amount of time that maybe for anybody looking at you as a mentor or admiring where you're at could say, oh, it's okay if I do that too. It's okay if I don't have it all so figured out. Yeah. And I think like, I have so much gratitude in a way, like as, although I don't like the, you have to stay in this role for two years and then you'll move on to the next role. Just having structure of like, this is your focus. This is what you need to be working on. Like every experience I've had, whether it was 3M, St. Jude Medical, like Cargill, everything like that, those structured roles are actually very beneficial. Like if, I don't know if I could have thrived in a startup my first job out of college. Like mm -hmm. I think I needed that structure. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's something for people to, if you're not at true footage and you're listening to this, like 
maybe consider that corporate path. Right. How can you build the foundation like, yeah, first? You need some organization. You need some structure. Like it teaches you so much, mm -hmm. but it also teaches you like, hey, maybe this isn't for you and you could go find something else that maybe better suits your, mm -hmm. like your preferences or needs. Yeah. And almost starting somewhere and maybe putting yourself in a box and then outgrowing the box before you just remove the box altogether and have to look around. And I think that can also feel very foreign and scary. And it is really important sometimes to start foundational, maybe be in a more structured environment, like you said, and then you actually learn and can feel internally the areas you're outgrowing that and can lean toward that, yeah. uh, especially in a sense of leadership. So I'd kind of like to segue into that too. You spoke a little bit on, you know, advocacy and women in leadership. Um, what kind of led you to step into leadership and then what does leadership look like to you when it comes to especially the professional world? What led me into leadership? Well, I guess my first my first taste of it was in high school. They, we needed a senior class president. It was kind of like a put your name in the hat, people vote, go on. And I'm like, I have no idea what this means, but like that sounds interesting. And like, mm -hmm. I, I gotta like get ready for college and like kind of have these experiences. And I became senior class president. Um, that was a huge, I feel like pivotal moment for me to understand like, Hey, you might be in front of like 600 people. Everyone has a different opinion, voice. How do you juggle all of that? How do you mm -hmm. understand like what to do, what you shouldn't do, whatever. Um, and I realized that you're not going to make everyone happy, but people look up to you. Like they want to, they want to hear from you and they want to like, you lead the way, like they need mm -hmm. somebody to kind of guide them. And that, that wasn't necessarily that, that role in particular. I got to like own a lot of things and kind of be in front of people. I spoke at graduation, just getting out of my comfort zone. And I think that's like, that's what leadership really is, is getting out of your own way, mm -hmm. wanting to learn, wanting to challenge, wanting to understand. Um, so any, but like leadership to me is, anyone can be it if you're willing to put in the work and challenge what you think to be true. Absolutely. It's so like the common narrative around leadership is like, you have to have eight to 10 years, whatever experience, like you have to be managing all these people before. And sometimes that really doesn't work out. Like I've seen mm -hmm. that in a really negative way mm -hmm. and I'm not perfect. Like I'm not a great, like I'm, I don't consider myself like the top leader of all time. But I, I wish people would understand, like, you don't need to have all of those years of experience. And luckily with True Footage, like, John helped me just get there. Like, mm -hmm. I was placed in that position kind of like, all right, like, let's figure this thing mm -hmm. out. And that was like, it was really hard, but it was mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm being called and I'm put in this position. Like, I'm going to learn as I go and try to figure it out the best as I can. Um. And I think like, yeah, just learning, challenging, questioning what you think is true mm -hmm. and just being okay with tons of different personalities, I think is also a big part of leadership. Absolutely. And kind of a personal responsibility as a leader to lean into and learn more about and have that openness toward something kind of fluttered into my mind when you were talking about getting out of your own way and people looking up to you. And I think for me personally, leadership is being brave enough to not only think about me and transition it to we, and that we could be 
one other colleague that is facing something similar and you're the voice that is brave enough to step forward and talk about it, the we also could be the entire nation or the entire world or the entire company or something on a much larger scale. I think sometimes people think it only means a very large platform, but anytime you're moving from a me mentality to a we mentality, you really are only adding one other person. And that type of leadership, I think, does start small and build building trust and rapport. And I've seen time after time again, the person that's deemed the leader in a role is not the most listened to and respected or has the most influence. And it's often positive power and influence from a person that is willing to take the time to build rapport, willing to take the time to listen. And then to your point, recognize that there are going to be other opinions and other people within that structure that are going to think differently than you and finding a way to respect each other and make a seat at the table for everyone there. And that can move mountains if you're willing to do that. And so I think that it is such a misconception that it has to be going from zero to one million or something. In fact, that is often irresponsible to throw someone into a position of that type of leadership But anyone listening in any capacity that you're in, if you add one more person's perspective and you're willing to take that into account, you are a leader. So I think it's kind of, you know, melting it down a little bit, too, and not making it such a scary term or something that you'd have to be fearful in saying that you're in leadership. I mean, we all are. If you call your friend and say, hey, I want to go here to dinner instead of there, that's leadership in some capacity, you know, it It can be something very small. And that's like... I my number one advice is start small. Like Mm -hmm. if you are not sure where to even get started, like that simple act of you decide where you and your friends are going for dinner Mm -hmm. is a show of leadership, like Mm -hmm. getting used to that and just get uncomfortable. You have to get uncomfortable, like Mm -hmm. period. (laughs) Yeah. I remember too, this is a, a slight tangent, but I was in competitive speech and debate in high school and I got invited to, (laughs) I crushed it. I really did. I am still to this day undefeated in debate, but I also only uh, did it in high school. So anyway, the record shows, Um, but in competitive speech, I got thrown into districts. We needed somebody to be in a few other events. And often you have to prepare a lot in advance. You know, you have a speech that is prepared in some capacity. There are a few events that you sort of do on a whim. So impromptu, you kind of pull a topic and you'd have to give a speech. And then panel was a discussion that was led about some type of a topic. And I went to districts. I had never competed in panel in my entire life. And it was very scary. And I ended up making it to state because, and I'll tell you this, I knew nothing about the topic that I pulled at all. I mean, the other people had researched a lot of them and they at least had these different points. And I made it to state because the judges said, you asked other people's opinions and perspectives and sought clarity and you were curious about what they had to say. And if we plucked you from the table, it would just be a bunch of people sitting there with their own opinions. But the integration of asking other people and kind of marrying concepts and getting people to maybe change their perspective is what we were looking for in a strong panel competitor. And I've never forgotten that. I got eaten alive at state. I'd like to make that known. I did terrible when I went to state because I just had no idea what I was doing. So it wasn't like I just, you know, fell into being successful with that. But on a on a smaller level, like we're talking about, 
Leadership is often asking clarifying questions or getting the person in the room that's the most quiet to share their opinion in a safe space where they feel okay to do so. And I think that that was very pivotal in my own leadership path because I thought I didn't know anything about it and I needed to trust my instincts that we always know more than we think we do. And so, you know, that's always stuck with me for sure. And you, like, you just brought up a really great point around like asking for those different opinions, like getting as many opinions as you can and kind of like, then you form the decision after that. That is Mm -hmm. really like something I'm still learning and trying to grow on. It's very hard. I think there are people at this company, like including yourself, John is amazing at this, like going to ask a million different people, like, what do you think? What should we do here? Mm-hmm. Kind of presenting a different couple of different options. And there's other people at the company that are just, I'm like, wow, like I need to learn from them. Um, but it's really awesome. Like then they, they, it's almost like a selling skill too. Of like, okay, we heard all these different things. This is actually what we're going to do moving forward. Mm-hmm. Here's why. And I appreciate that you gave me all of this, like, your insight and like your opinion and mm-hmm. let's test this out and just see how it goes. It's a really hard, it's a really hard thing to do and learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think our ego has to be set aside because there is often a prove yourself mentality in leadership. So in turn, it becomes if I'm the loudest person in the room or I have the strongest opinion and I'm willing to bulldoze other people, that makes me a leader. But that's the very notion that I've seen in these corporate structures or in any structure where there is kind of a um, formal leadership put in place where I've then seen it from an onlooker and an observer as those leaders actually are the least listened to, even though maybe their way or the highway and they're saying it the loudest. But then you look beneath that structure and you see these very natural leaders that are actually making change and positively impacting the team and asking clarifying questions and building trust. And again, it's it's hard to really disrupt those patterns quickly or from a a larger scale but you can start with yourself and you can start with the way you're presenting and know that it's you know how do we change the world one person at a time how do we change a company one maybe conversation or perspective or question at a time and starting small is is really the answer yeah Awesome. I love that. Well, kind of speaking to the the initiation of your leadership journey and then even probably still today as you're transitioning into new roles, how has imposter syndrome kind of come into play and how have you combated that if there are times that that voice in your head tells you nobody cares or you aren't qualified to be in this? I mean, what are some ways that you've um, learned to combat that? Imposter syndrome is such a doozy. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for, it seems like, especially more prevalent with women. And I think sometimes I will say a challenge, like there's a narrative that exists where it's like, oh, well, women don't want to do that because of imposter syndrome. It's like, that's not true for every woman that Mm -hmm. exists. Um, but I think in my prior experience, like what comes to mind is like comparison. Mm -hmm. I grew up with a sister that was two years older, like she was the cooler older sister at school, like everyone knew her and I was just the little sister. So I've always like, I grew up comparing myself. Like I was like, well, I'm not her, but I want to be her. Everyone wants Mm -hmm. like, everyone wants to be around her. So I'm constantly was comparing. And that was like, whether I liked it or not, it was just like a natural thing that came to me. It has taken a lot of time and effort. Even now, 
I can't compare myself to anybody else. I'm not those people. Mm-hmm. Nor do I want to be. Like, no mm-hmm. offense. I would. I mean, I would love to be you, Mikhail, but like, <laughs> I love myself too. Like, I don't. I wish we could do Freaky Friday. You know that movie? We could just like change bodies and and be each other for a couple days or a week or however long we decide. But unfortunately, not how the world works. <laughs> and I don't think I could recruit as well as you do. So, um, yeah. But but maybe it should happen. Um, <laughs> But yeah, comparison, it is like, to me, it's the the root of all evil is comparison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really struggled with that. Like I was seeing other people getting these roles that I thought I, I, keyword, I thought I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then people moving into different positions and like seeing, and everything kind of revolved around comparing myself to the working world. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. what a boring life. Like Mm -hmm. that does not make sense to me. And nor should I put my time and energy there, Mm -hmm. show up as I am. Mm-hmm. and like continue that on and like question myself like change as I can but don't compare like comparison mm-hmm. will get you absolutely nowhere should you ad- like if you admire somebody go ask them like ask them how they got started like how do they get into that role or that position mm-hmm. should have those types of conversations but don't take it in a negative way like mm-hmm. because I'm not there I'm not worthy like that mm-hmm. that's not true mm-hmm Yeah. And some food for thought that I haven't really considered until this conversation in the depth that now I'm somewhat processing. We often talk about social media as such a root of comparison. We see this highlight reel of people's lives, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I almost think the trend towards virtual workplaces also causes that type of comparison because we see people when they're turned on in the meetings and they've got everything ready to go. We don't see the minute that they X out of that meeting and maybe their life is falling apart. We don't mm-hmm. see that. We don't. We see the kudos on Slack, but we might not see the blood, sweat and tears that took us to get there. Um, I even reached out to Christian today when we got the global harassment in the workplace email because I said to him, hey, that was so well done. And that process document you created made it so easy to follow through. That's something that is so overlooked. And I know how much time it likely took just to get that off the ground, especially when you're sending something to an entire company. But again, we're the recipients of that email and we might roll our eyes and go, oh, something else that I have to add to my plate without even thinking that it probably took 20 hours to get that email sent to us. And so I just think that virtual workspace is something I'm so thankful for being able to be fully remote, but we aren't sitting in our cubicles or in our office and seeing people in between those high and low moments. And so it automatically creates comparison. It automatically makes us think, well, they're delivering these things or they're doing this or they're getting that done. And it's such an interesting concept because it causes such unnecessary comparison, but there's almost not an answer because none of us are gonna say, let's all stay on our meetings for three hours in between and watch what each other are doing and like yeah. <laughs> you know it's like not it's impossible to to see those in between moments i think the most important thing is awareness to that and then just an understanding that we are not seeing the whole picture ever it's a tip of an iceberg and we have no clue what's going on below the surface yeah i feel like you have to like you need to understand am i being inspired or am i kind of just taking this as comparing myself to that person right and if you're being inspired, go reach out to that person. Like, who cares if you DM? I don't know. I feel like I've DM'd weird people before. Like, Damon <laughs> Wayans Jr., I was like, hey, are you doing any shows? And he actually responded, which is See? like, very you got to put yourself out there. Yeah. You got to put yourself out there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that's 
that's been the hardest part of imposter syndrome. And I, I work on that every single day. Like you cannot compare, you mm -hmm. should be inspired. And like the moment you change that narrative, it's like, wow, that person, like to your point of like admiring what Christian had done and like taking the moment to like acknowledge that that's awesome. Like that's how it should be. Like he worked mm -hmm. on a really big project, he delivered it. And then you acknowledge that it shouldn't be like, mm -hmm. well, why didn't I get to do that? Like Exactly. Yeah. Or just assuming it's easy because we see this paragraph in our inbox and we just assume that that was on the first pass. <laughs> it's like, it's never, we see these results without pausing to realize how much went into that outcome. And this, you know, along the same lines of changing the narrative, I think we also weirdly love tormenting ourselves and we accidentally create these patterns within our thoughts of how we aren't as good, how we shouldn't be given these opportunities, how somebody else got it. And, and we just live in this little chamber of torture and of punishing ourselves for something that is such a waste of our energy. And I think that especially lately, I've really, really, really been starting with my thoughts rather than looking at these outcomes or these things I want changed. I go all the way back to the beginning and I ask myself, what are my thoughts about that? So if I want to say be promoted to this specific position, but I melt down my thoughts and at the beginning of my thoughts, it's uh, someone else is going to get it. I'm not deserving. I'm not worthy. I'm not doing enough. Am I ever going to get that job or that promotion? Likely no. And if I do, I will not be prepared for it. But if we change our thoughts first, everything else is a domino effect. And so I've worked on that a lot when it comes to imposter syndrome. The minute a thought like that enters my brain, I say, we are changing the channel, Mikhail. We're not doing that today. We're not We're not going to even give that thought anything more than I had this thought and I let it go and it fluttered away because they're still going to come, but they don't belong yeah. to us, you know, and then it's like living that delusional life of all these positive thoughts kind of creates a better reality. And I can't deny that anymore, even though I used to think that was BS because now it's working. <laughs> so it's like, you know. It does, your thoughts are so powerful and I am no doctor by any means, but the more negative thoughts you have, I in my situation, I feel like I get really sick. Mm -hmm. I get sick, something wrong happens to mm -hmm. me. Like I like injured my back one time when I was just in like a really low place. Mm -hmm. and, once you can start thinking positively or even mm -hmm. imagining yourself mm -hmm. in that next role, you're going to get there. Like you're going to mm -hmm. get there quicker than you thought you would, or mm -hmm. maybe something even better shows up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there are scientific energy vibrations associated with different emotions. And so whether we want to say, if you are really negative, you are going to get the flu and we, you know, we might not be able to predict exact outcomes, but we definitely can say if you choose to exist in a vibrational energy space that is very low, everything in your environment and your direct atmosphere is going to reflect that low energy vibration. And it's, kind of crazy because we have all the tools within us to change that vibration, even though breaking that pattern might be one of the hardest things we've ever actually tried to do. Because if you wake up and every time you look in the mirror, you say, I'm ugly, it takes a while to rewire that pattern. And it feels really foreign at first when you say, all right, I don't know if this is going to work, but every time I look in the mirror, even though I'm ugly, might pop in my head, I'm going to say out loud, you are beautiful. Well, over time, even that internal thought will start to reflect you are beautiful because you create a pattern. I mean, it's Pavlov's dog. You know, we've, we've learned this. It's not pseudoscience or, or witchcraft. It really is true. And for me, I love those foundational basis 
understanding we can look into of the scientific proof behind it. And then I think even when we know it to be true, actually doing it and actually changing our thoughts is so freaking hard. So I totally acknowledge that. But the more we practice it, the easier it gets and the more natural it becomes to halt those negative thought patterns and, you know, maybe have friends. You're a great accountability buddy for me. There are times that if I need to vent about something, we'll both pause and say, is this productive or not? Or what can we do about it? Or let's not exist in this negative space because it's not good for either of us. Um, So I think there's a lot of support systems you can create first within and then let them almost ripple effect outward. And pretty soon you've changed your entire life, honestly. So and think about that from even like a like your career perspective. Like every day now I wake up and I'm like, if I were to pass away today and I'm mm-hmm. not, it's not like a dark doomsday, like I'm going to mm-hmm. die. It's just like, hey, well, if I did, would I like have been proud of or admired the way I talked to myself mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks, last couple of months? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, then I got to change. Like mm-hmm. my parents always had like an attitude adjustment jar growing up and you'd have to like, if you change your attitude, you get a little piece of candy out of it. I think that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I know. Okay. I need to reevaluate, change the way I'm thinking about this mm-hmm. and then try again. Mm-hmm. And every time you're doing that, I feel like with your career, do you really want to wake up one day and you're like, I had the worst career in my life. I was always so miserable. Every day sucked. Mm-hmm. Like you put that, you, you put that on yourself. No offense. Mm-hmm. Unless you are like really, I caveat this, like that's a really privileged statement to make. There are people who are struggling that may not ever make it out of like jobs that they don't want to be working. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a position where you do have some flexibility, change your mindset, change mm-hmm. your mindset and change the way that you're going about your life because you can, like mm-hmm. you can, whether you like it or not, Mm-hmm. And don't wake up one day like regretting what your past looked like. I don't know. Yeah. And I would say more often than not, when I've encountered people that work jobs that internally I think, holy cow, how are they doing it? They're some of the most positive people I've ever met. Yep. So there's also a side of that where there really is the, we have the ability to just change our attitude and our perception and perspective about something. And that does often change the circumstance itself. I mean, you can wake up and say, it's going to be a great day or it's going to be a horrible day. And you are probably right. Um, I did also learn last week, um, and I don't know the exact source of this. I'll try to look it up and link it in the show notes. And hopefully it really is true. But she said that our natural state is actually to think more negatively, like our natural being and our natural state, because, because we're trying to avoid danger. So starting very prehistoric time, everything was avoid danger, avoid, you know, death often. And so our natural state of being is assess the situation, assess for danger, avoid danger. And if we bring that into a workplace situation, even somebody just being, you know, not responding in time or whatever it may be, that's very trivial it can cause such a negative thought spiral. And so I also want to acknowledge it is more difficult to change that, to not just think negative. And I do think if I get in that negative spiral, it's so easy for me then to just copy and paste it to everything going on in my life and find myself in this weird, gross place. However, one decision to change that often then actually changes the rest of the course of my day or my week or my situation I'm facing. And so while it might be the harder choice at first, it ends up reaping so many benefits that we wouldn't have if we just let ourselves spiral. So yeah, yeah I agree. It's wild. It's so wild. 
Um, well, kind of moving on to our next question, I'd love to just lean in a little bit to some of the strong leaders that you've had in your life and 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 why you look up to them or what do you make somebody a strong leader? So unfortunately, this first one, she passed away. Actually, it was like a couple of years ago on the 18th of September, which wow. is my gal, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, yes. um, she was a Supreme Court justice. And if you've never read like the autobiography of her, please go read it. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to this, I think it's it's incredible. The way mm -hmm. her show of leadership was insane. Like when mm -hmm. we're talking about, I'm trying to learn and pick up on, get those different perspectives, but then like really sell why we're not mm -hmm. going to side against something or mm -hmm. move along with something. She had that power in her. Mm -hmm. And she was a very like, I would say generally patient, mm -hmm. more reserved leader. And mm -hmm. I think I admire that because I've always grown up kind of a little bit more quiet, a little bit more reserved in terms of like the way I show up with people. I'm not extremely mm -hmm. like extroverted when you first are talking with me. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was amazing. And she was like mm -hmm. a female justice. Like there's yep. never been all nine females on the Supreme mm -hmm. Court justice, but that was her goal and that was her vision. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's awesome. That's like an amazing woman to look up to. Mm -hmm. um, professionally, my mentor, Michael Duran, he is the SVP, Senior Vice President of and Chief Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer. It's a crazy Mouthful. title. Yeah. Um, at 3M and okay. kind of a similar sentiment. I met him through the Women's Leadership Forum. We were both volunteering there. And at the time I had this narrative in my head and this is like, you know, growing up with a corporate dad, it's like, you're taught, it's like gotta be probably like a really loud, boisterous, like extroverted dude in the workplace to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And that's not what my dad was telling me. It was just like, that was his experience. And that's what I assumed to be true. Mm -hmm. I met Michael and Michael is in a position of leadership and Michael has just like this patient, like very kind way of him. He's extremely intelligent. And it's just like, this was refreshing. I didn't know that there were leaders like that existed like him. Mm -hmm. The way you talk to him, it's like, he's talking to you like you're a regular person, like, mm -hmm. but you also, he sees something like, he's like, mm -hmm. like, I'm learning from you. It's like, what? Like, I didn't think leaders could do that. Mm -hmm. And that's so true. It's like you leadership, you're, you should be learning from other people. Like you're not above anybody. Mm -hmm. That's like management. If you're assuming yourself as a manager, leadership is way different. Um, he's somebody I think that stands out a lot. And I just admire, like, he doesn't change. He's not going to like try to be something that he's not. Mm -hmm. And he does an excellent job in my opinion. That's amazing. I think both of the leaders that you described are very disarming in their nature in a sense that they that patience and persistence and still having a strong opinion. But something else that I've definitely learned time and time again is trying to be the loudest and the most forceful about your opinions often causes anyone on the receiving end to shut down, even if they actually agree with you. And mm -hmm. so for me, I think being able to quiet your voice a little bit and know that you can still be so passionate and still be so opinionated. It doesn't mean you have to assume the same opinions of everyone else, but 
it sounds like both of those leaders kind of played the long game rather than in this moment, I need to be right. It's how can we all get on the same page and move forward together? And there's so much to be learned about that because especially when you're passionate about something, it's very easy to get heated or to want to raise your voice or increase your speed or be more forceful. And when I've been on the receiving end of that, it causes me to shut down so greatly where in comparison with Michael, it's so disarming and causes you to open up, which actually strengthens him as a leader because now he's learned maybe one more perspective, maybe 10 more perspectives. He's gained trust in the team. And so that point you made about the difference between managing someone and leading someone is also so impactful because oftentimes you have a manager title and you're not a leader or you don't have a manager title and you are, or maybe you have both, but I think there is a very big division between the two and those leadership styles you described are also so appreciated in a manager. So it's cool to see them go hand in hand. And I will say like, I'm I'm such a curious person and I I admire people like leaders that I definitely like maybe I don't agree with or like mm-hmm. I align with at all. Like I think Elon Musk is so fascinating. Like he's a leader. He's thinking a whole different way that I've ever like seen or thought could be true, like challenging mm-hmm. all these different things that like as a society we just assumed or like carried on. And people like him, I feel like it's just like find people also find people who maybe you don't agree with because like Mm -hmm. that's really refreshing too and like you'll learn something Mm -hmm. and like admire in their leadership that maybe okay maybe i should be a little bit more like that Mm -hmm. change who i am but like there are some qualities that are worth picking up and or at least like looking into Mm -hmm. and i'd say with that when there are people that have have leadership styles that you really really disagree with back to the mental fortitude that can occur with your perspective, something I've started doing, if I experience a negative situation, rather than tell everyone in my life over and over and over how negative it was, or to this point, I hate this leader because they believe this, lead instead with, let me tell you what I've learned from that, or Mm -hmm. let me share with you how my perspective has changed. And it might be telling people that you are going to cut them out of the group if they don't believe the same way as you or telling people they're stupid or calling someone a name or whatever you've witnessed maybe from somebody that is in a position of power. I don't want to say leader. Maybe they are a leader to some, but if they're not your leader or somebody that you want to follow, how can you reframe it a little bit and instead only speak the positive attributes into the existence of whatever situation you find yourself in and actually put your energy toward that instead because hate takes up so much space and it's really really hard to find joy in anything when we've allowed hate or a a lot of negativity to take up space in our psyche and so i think that is so powerful to just lead with even here's what i've learned that i would like to do and it's the opposite of what that leader has done you know it can be so powerful it's not the dwelling on like oh i don't like what they're doing or i hate what they're doing it's unproductive personally but it's also unproductive to whatever company you're working Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. yeah it goes nowhere and it It actually just sucks energy you could honestly even just be putting to nothing is better than putting it to those negative thoughts because that does just breed within your brain and manipulate and pretty soon it's so easy to to even just paste the word hate to all kinds of things without recognizing what power that 
takes over within us. And so again, words are so powerful and it's not a necessary um, challenge of sit there and police every single thing you say. However, sometimes taking inventory can be kind of helpful and make us pause and recognize what we're putting our energy toward. Yeah. And recognize like, is it really that person or is it yourself? Exactly. Yes. And like challenge yourself too. Like you might, I'm like, I know I got, I've got tons of room to reflect mm -hmm. and figure out like, mm, maybe that wasn't the best way I could have done that. Or I yeah. learned from that. Yeah. And there's a difference too, between people that just have deliberately maladaptive leadership skills of let's say name calling and things that are very, very unproductive. And then there's a difference of people that are leading in a way that's different or that you disagree with that actually might be a little bit of a mirror to an area that you either see in yourself. Maybe somebody always jumps in and cuts people off and it's really frustrating. But if you really get honest with yourself, that's something you kind of struggle with too. Or on the flip side, you feel as though your voice is never heard. And so people that jump in and cut people off only further shed light on the fact that you never feel heard. And so how can you even take those things internally and make them productive versus just focusing on this person that isn't thinking about you if we're being honest, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd love for you to share some tips that you would have told your former self or, you know, looking back, wish your former self knew, kind of knowing what you know now, where you're at with, you know, your personal and professional growth. The list is probably like so long, but <laughs> which is good. That means like, I hope I've learned something along yeah. the way. I think a couple of them that stick out. Um, this was like very early in my career, even still in college. If you've tried something like more than three times, like trying to make something work more than three times, even that might be too much. And something isn't working out for you. Reevaluate in that moment and move on. Mm -hmm. like show your that. grace but move on like mm -hmm. I, truthfully i maybe there is still a day and time where this happens i thought my career was going to be in security and compliance and kind of like risk intelligence mm -hmm. and it wasn't working out kept mm -hmm. not working out and i'm like what is it mm -hmm. and i finally realized like maybe it's something to do with me like what what do i need to change and do mm -hmm. differently maybe that's not the path so that's one um detachment is huge it's like a huge yogic principle that I feel like I didn't start working on until I got my yoga teacher training um, kind of program over with. Mm -hmm. But detaching from any outcome is so helpful in any situation that you're in. Like you can't prove what the future is mm -hmm. going to hold. You can't hang on to something that happened yesterday. You can't hang on to something somebody said to you that really made you mad. Like that doesn't, again, like that doesn't, it's not productive. It's not mm -hmm. going to go um stop viewing life as woe is me i hate like i love this um concept of instead of saying why is this happening to me mm -hmm. instead ask yourself why is this happening for me and asking for instead of to hopefully leads you into a deeper understanding of yourself mm -hmm. i love that i'd say with that i also always say if somebody's sitting there saying why me the ego can also be silenced a little bit by saying, why not me? What makes us immune to having things happen? And obviously there's times that really, really terrible things happen, but none of us are immune to that. And none of us are, um, 
worthy of never having something bad happen or we we are deserving of having this life with no struggle and oftentimes is then then that leads into the oh when i look back on it that thing that i sat there and said why me why me why me was not happening to me it was actually happening for me and you know i i say probably daily rejection is often protection so something closing and something feeling really that you really wanted you know your career in the you know cyber risk and intelligence and all of that not working out in the moment was probably so frustrating and felt like such a closed door and yeah. then now where you are you look back and it's almost like thank goodness that it's did so not goofy. work out I'm like what <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have like I know we would yeah. not be here right now so I think it's it's such an important thing and in the moment it's also okay to give grace of this really sucks and I don't really know why this is happening for me and I don't know what that looks like because it's often around the corner but even just having trust that there is an aspect that is happening for you and you might not be able to see the whole way around the wall that you're looking at but you have the tools to climb it or to find a way around it and that I would say 100% of the time, looking back, things make so much more sense than when we're facing them. And so even just using that as the strength that carries you through and almost saying, well, I'm curious what this lesson will be or what this outcome will be is serving to us much more than woe is me. Yes, I I couldn't agree more. And I, mm -hmm. like, I think about the road trip I was just on and a boulder came flying out of a semi. I'm on a like two lane, one lane highway, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. And it came flying and like, it was like life flash before your eyes. Luckily, the only damage it did was knock off my driver door handle, which now mm -hmm. I look like, I look goofy. Like I'm <laughs> opening my car door from my back passenger door and it's not oh a great goodness. look, like, yeah. but I don't care. Like I have mm -hmm. no shame. And that happened in the moment immediately, I was so mad. I'm like, oh, like, dang it. like why did this happen? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, I'm not dead. It didn't go through my windshield. Like I yeah. this could have been way worse. I'm, I'm actually mm -hmm. like, I'm pretty happy right now. Like mm -hmm. this is really hard to think that way, but mm -hmm. I'd rather live in that direction than be so mad that it's, it's happened to me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's silly, but I feel like when I get stuck at red lights or there's traffic or construction that makes me have to go around one of my new like silly thought patterns i will actually say that well i avoided death by going the other way and it's yeah. probably not true but there actually are so many times i'm sure all of us have nearly encountered a situation that would have been so tragic so maybe it's not i avoided death but you could just say i avoided tragedy like i you know in some capacity and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this new path because I actually, none of us will ever know what going that way we intended to go would have led to. And maybe it was great. Maybe it was terrible. But sometimes when we have those things that feel like roadblocks or setbacks, or even just as simple as construction, and we have to turn down this other way, again, we're programmed to be like, ah, oh, I'm so annoyed at this and five more minutes and whatever it may be. And there's just no way of knowing what that could have looked like if yeah. it went the way we thought we wanted it to go. And so why not just be like, thanks, universe, still alive. <laughs> you know? Isn't it called, maybe it's just a TikTok thing, but I think it's called like the burnt toast theory of like, yes. you burn your toast in the morning and like, you could be really mad that you were late to work, but then you see on the news that there was an accident on the highway. A thousand percent. Like, Thank God you burnt your toast. Yep. Like, 
go get another piece of bread. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And looking at those types of things again as opportunities to be curious or to pause or to say maybe the this was a situation in which I just needed a few extra minutes at home or I needed to practice patience. And I'll say that too, you know, again, a reframing. If I'm stuck in traffic, I'll say, well, universe has really given me some lessons in practicing patience today. And you know, I'm not saying I'm like, I fell out of a Disney movie and I'm always sing song. There are times I'll say to the driver in front of me, is this your first day driving? What are we doing? So I definitely still have some of that vocality about it. But I really do try to, even if it's somewhat sarcastic, practice those being the things I put out there, then, you know, just always being angry. It is not fun to navigate the world in a state of anger and resentment and feeling jaded or having a chip on your shoulder. Not only is it not fun for us, but it's not fun for anyone around us. And I think resilience, even to, and especially to small inconveniences, is such an attractive quality in leadership and management and friends and family and significant others. But the time that you're holding your breath because the person next to you just maybe had their door handle ripped off their car and life has shown you over and over, oh my gosh, the person with you, they're going to freak out because that's what life has shown you as a pattern. And that person just goes, thank goodness I'm not dead. I mean, Ooh. what a difference that makes in the outcome. Because the thing is, your door handle's ripped off either way. So at the yeah, end, I'm not, I'm not getting into my car door. Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think that it's just another really important reminder that once situations happen, we really can only control our reaction. And so being able to pause and take a deep breath and put something positive out into the universe is always going to yield better outcomes than just being grumbly forever. True. And that might be another lesson I wish I would have learned earlier in life is respond. Don't react. Mm -hmm. Take a second. Huge. Like, I don't need an immediate answer from you. It's really challenging, like especially in a startup space because things are flying really quickly. Mm -hmm. Like 10, I think it's Lynette. Maybe it was Lynette that said, like, it's like 10 years in one day here. I'm like, that's mm -hmm. so true. Some days it feels like we've done a lot and just try to respond rather mm -hmm. than react. I think that's a huge one, too. Yeah, absolutely. And then to piggyback off of it, it feels like 10 years in one day. Ask yourself in those situations where you feel your nervous system dial turned up. If this isn't going to matter in 10 years, don't give it more than 10 minutes of your emotional bandwidth. I because I think there are times that things feel like emergencies. And I feel so thankful to have worked in healthcare as long as I did before, because there were times it was life or death. I lost patients. There were times that it was truly such high stakes. And so when I feel like if I don't submit this document by 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, the world is going to explode, I can recognize, or somebody hasn't responded to me on Slack in a certain amount of time. Again, we train our brain to just turn the dial up in every time we face those situations and we can train our brain to turn the dial back down and say, it's all right. They'll get to me when they get to me. I'd love for the same grace. If I don't get to somebody right away, I'd love for the same grace that I want to give them right now. And I think that that is such a great lesson that is constant practice that especially in the moments that your cheeks are flushed and you are rage te texting or rage typing or rage slacking maybe write the message to get it off your brain, but then go for a five minute walk. And I guarantee you 10 out of 10 times, you will reread that message and be embarrassed for yourself. And yeah. it's a lot easier to erase that message and 
send something different than to spend how long apologizing and trying to redeem yourself and groveling and kind of repairing trust that's been broken. And so I'm guilty of it. I mean, I've sent messages that I'll even look back on way later and it doesn't feel like I even sent it. I read it and I'm like, that was really like weird and unnecessary the message I've ever sent in my life. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> exactly. And it really feels so instantly gratifying to fire the message and hit send. And it's that ego internally that's, yeah, I'm going to tell them or I'm going to be that bulldozer or put my thumb on them. But I think that it is so much more productive to respond and wait until you're in that place of responding and allow things to breathe a little bit and then respond from a clear mind. And it really does sometimes only take five minutes, you know, walk away from it, do some jumping jacks, shake yourself out and get to that place where you are not in that very volatile reactive state. And then your future self thanks you because you're not trying to repair something for, you know, however long from that message you fired off. True. Um, I want to know a lesson that you've learned. Ooh, I would definitely say the take, take five is what I call it. So the react um, and responding for sure. Um, I've kind of revisited some of the agreements, the what, five or four agreements, four agreements, four agreements. Yeah. Why in my mind for a second, was it five? Was there five love languages? There's five love. Wait, I think there's five. Okay. <laughs> math, math ain't math. And I've been revisiting the agreements. We'll just say, and I think that for me personally, being empathetic, caring a lot, I have had leaders in my life, past leaders tell me you care too much. And I think that that was not productive for me because I think the amount that I care is actually a superpower. The amount that I care is what allows me to connect with people. However, I get to determine where I put my care and what I what I allow to impact me. And I think, you know, there's a lot of um, discussion about the two faces of an empath and like how empaths start off by just being sponges that absorb everything. And I've been there and I can really speak to that. But the second phase of empowerment is one, knowing how to ring yourself out and two, knowing how to not be penetrable to everything around you. And so with that, the agreement I've leaned into a lot lately is that it's not about you. Yeah. And I think that's something that has been so empowering for me. If somebody snaps or if somebody you know, sends me a response that maybe for them is reactive or even something in me unintentionally triggers something in them, or maybe they bring it to me and I could have done better, which I'm always happy to acknowledge and admit. But knowing that it's really not about me, it, it's not my business, what other people think about me or even what they're saying about me. And so much more often than not, somebody's response to something is not about me whatsoever and has nothing to do with me it has been really, really helpful in just letting stuff go and letting it breathe and letting them sit with it and reacting kindly and then wiping it away and clearing the slate for myself personally and not having to go to bed feeling like this sponge that's overflowing with everyone else's business and emotion and um, everything there has been something that I'd say is has been a very, very valuable lesson. Um, and then letting myself care as much as I want, because yeah. I do think that that is something that has been, especially in a corporate world, again, like you said, traditional leadership or management structure is often this stoic, opinionated, my way or the highway person. And so to be able to be a person in leadership that 
allows myself to care. And, you know, I just finished that Harvard course um, certification. And one of the courses was um, like a positive impact, power and leadership with positive impact. And, and as I was taking this course, it was crazy to me because it was stuff that I do feel like comes very naturally to me. And it was also remarkable to know how many people were taking that class in my cohort that would be answering questions and saying like, I've never considered how someone that's a subordinate to me might feel about this, or I've never considered asking oh, them, you know, things like that. Yeah. But it was so eye opening because I'm that one of the three courses I had to take to get the certification. I was like, I'm, I could have written this in some ways. It came so naturally. And I think it's also so important to celebrate our natural talents and not feel like we have to hide them or shy away from them or downplay them. It's okay to say, I'm so good at this. I am not so good at this. So that's why there's room for everyone at the table. But I think especially as women in leadership, we play it small and it's like, it's like the somebody gives you a compliment and you have to, you know, I like your shirt. Thanks. It was on sale or, oh, this is old. Or we have to like deflect in a way. It's like, yeah. be proud. Thanks. I do too. I love this shirt. Well, you know, I just think that it's so important to see ourselves and allow ourselves to see our strengths too. Yeah. Yeah. That was a long-winded answer. I love it. Thank you for answering. Also, congrats things. on your certification. Thank you. It was, it was a big accomplishment for sure. Do I have one um, more? Is there time? Yes, we got time for one more. Um, Major lesson, don't force networking connections. And what yeah. I mean by that is so-and-so tells you, hey, you got to meet this sales manager. They're going to be the best thing ever and like whatever. You meet with them. It's an awful conversation. You're not vibing. Do not move forward. Do not ask that person for more time, even mm -hmm. if they might have like a cool impact or like somehow help change your career. Mm -hmm. You guys aren't vibing. Don't waste their time. Mm -hmm. Don't waste your time or energy. Like every mm -hmm. conversation, you're probably going to feel a little bit deflated. Mm -hmm. Network with the people. Like obviously network with a good range of whoever it is. And maybe it's just one-off conversations, but those strong connections that you meet while you're networking, it's not working don't force it. It's like relationships, like don't force anything. Mm -hmm. I think that was a huge lesson to learn. It's like your time is precious. Like you should be talking with people that you want to learn from or could grow for, grow with. Absolutely. I, and, and don't let other people tell you who you should or should not be like, listen to, grow from all of those things. Again, there's that intuition, which brings us back to such an essence of how you lead which is if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. And if something feels like a hell yes, then lean into that mm -hmm. and don't feel bad that this person, this, this podcast or this person that gave this speech or something doesn't resonate with you. Because again, what a waste of energy to just pretend. I think at the end of the day, like know what you're good at, know what resonates, and then just keep leaning into that path and chasing down that direction. And you will continue to align higher and higher and higher than if you were like, well, everyone loves this person, so I should just take what they say as doctrine. I mean, that doesn't do any good for anyone. Mm -hmm. like, um, form your own opinion. Like, absolutely. You, you and trust it. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I'd love for you to close uh, this out. Um, we're going to have to do a part two because we didn't even get to all of our questions. So let's go. <laughs> bummer. I'm going to talk to you again. Um, I'd love for you just to leave a <laughs> quote or two um, that comes to mind or resonates with you that you would like to um, wrap this up with. 
I think when it comes to just life in general, something that comes to mind is if you want to know the value of life, just know that it is a brief happening. And that's Sadhguru has said it. Um, I don't know if that came from somewhere else, but I love that. It's like every day, today's, this might be your last day, like mm -hmm. show up, like show mm -hmm. up how you want to. And then professional kind of work life, I think be you to compare yourself with others is to forget the uniqueness of your own journey. And that was, I believe, Ram Das. And I think mm -hmm. that is just huge. Like you're not here to be, I'm not here to be Mikhail, although I would love to be Mikhail. I'm Mariah, like mm -hmm. I'm my own person. And again, back to comparison, don't do it. It's not healthy. Like you are your own person. You need to show everyone what you're capable of if you want to. Incredible. Mic drop. Um, I would love to leave listeners with, I would say truly the most valuable gift that you have given me multiple times, whether I'm facing something personal or professional, and that is to lead me in a deep breath. So will you close yes. this out by leading all of our listeners in a Mariah inspired deep breath? Yes. But first, if you're listening, try to sit down or maybe to keep like stay standing. Close your eyes if that's comfortable. Take a short inhale, exhale out, and then take as long of an inhale as you can. Open mouth, exhale, sigh that out. And keep doing that. If that helps you, use that before a meeting, before a presentation in life. Like, I love that I've shown you that, and that makes me so happy. It is the best tool that is always with us. So yes. thank you so much, Mariah. And thank you, True Matters listeners. I hope that you will continue to join us in taking some deep breaths, no matter what you are navigating in life. And we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye.